Well, happy Hope Day, everyone, and welcome back to Life Works Better with Coach Mel and Hostess Clarissa. Clarissa. <laughs> we are, <laughs> we're still series 15, episode number 19. Oh, wow, 19. Yeah, Life Works Better with Story. Story. Yeah, this, this has been an amazing series, Coach. Uh, you know, we do a lot of talking off air. We do. Uh, sometimes that's a pod. That's like the pre-podcast. <laughs> we should probably record that too. Hey, we, well, we should do that and just put a parenthesis. We could make that as a bonus. Yeah. So I think we need to start doing the pre-podcast. That. Oh my goodness! Just you know, talking about the ecclesia, and we have really been um, talking about how uh, the difference between the organism versus an organization, mm-hmm. and uh, and the more I see the world evolving. And the more history that we dive into, I'm starting to see why we do what we do now. And I'm starting to wonder, you know, if that's the best way to do it. You know, <laughs> it, it, does, it sounds more like man-made traditions. Yes. In, some, in most cases uh, that I'm seeing as we're diving in. So you it's know, been the, great. The astounding thing about it is uh, as we read the Gospels and Jesus encountered mm-hmm. uh, all different kinds of people, just as we do. All the categories of people have always been there in all of the story of mankind. Right. There, there are no new categories. They're just new characters. <laughs> and there are some characters <laughs> there out there. <laughs> new characters, but the same categories. Yeah. And, and many times, I, I can remember just, you know, I uh, grew up in church. Mm-hmm. And so reading about the Pharisees, and they were always just kind of, uh, you know, this, these people that, that uh, were kind of uh, prideful, holier-than-thou yeah. kind of people. And uh, they really gave Jesus the most difficult time. Mm. And so I was always thinking about those. And then uh, later on in my adult life, even after I got involved in the organization and got involved in pastoring and, and so forth, that uh, I was really like, well, this category that the Pharisees were in, who, who's in that category today? Mm-hmm. And then when I had to admit that I was in that category, mm. that I had created this, I had uh, adopted this particular description of someone that uh, is godly and... So I felt like that the more I got like that description, then the more godly I was. And uh, discipleship is not a description. It's a a way of life. And if Jesus were to come today, the people that he would have the most difficult time with would be the leaders of the church and the churches. Because too many times, uh, well, we just we just focus on the organization. That's right. And uh, and if you really want to, uh, I, I I remember just having these thoughts that the idea. Okay, so how do you do this? How do you? How can there be an organization that is really an organism? And so then that question a few years ago to me that I uh, focused on for a year was. How do you organize organic? Mm. 
not organically, but how do you organize organic? Mm. And that's what brought me to uh, a practical definition of leadership, that leadership is simply the responsibility of leadership is to create an environment. It's all about creating the environment. It's, leadership is not even focused directly on people. It's creating an environment wow. that will allow Holy Spirit to do in the name of Jesus, what's in the heart of the Father. So we're creating an environment. And uh, that's, that's what the farmer does. The, the farmer doesn't put, put any extra work into rah-rah and that, that corn, mm-hmm. that seed of corn to, to grow. No, he just puts it in the ground and creates the environment. And what's inside of it is what produces the fruit. And that's exactly what Jesus said. He said, you're the, uh, you're the seed. The gospel, the kingdom of God's the seed, and you're the ground. So if I, pre- if I prepare that environment within me, just be a good farmer. Mm-hmm. And by the way, it's just a beautiful picture of everything because uh, our, our body is, is dust. It's dirt. <laughs> It'll turn to, to dirt. Mm-hmm. And so literally, God is still a gardener, and he, he's wanting to grow something in this piece of dirt right here <laughs> you know what is so funny i was you know i was looking up a word you know you're the word guru and i said i wonder i'm just gonna hold on to it and i wonder if he'll get to it and so because we have a tendency to kind of do that and you when you said body i looked up the word organ mm-hmm. what is an organ and an organ is it's made up of a different structure of your heart it could be your kidney consistent of cells and tissues and performing specific organizations in an organism, an organ. And so, you know, the ecclesia, as you mentioned, is an organism. Mm-hmm. So that root word <clears throat> is organ. So it's something that's living. It's something that has a, a function to do. But when we take the organism and try to turn it into an organization, you take the life out of the organ. Mm-hmm. We're taking the life out of the ecclesia. Yes. Yep. Wow. And instead of spending time fertilizing the tree and pruning the tree and tending the tree, we go get fruit from somewhere else, like in the corporate world, mm. and we bring it and we attach it to the limbs. And then we say, look at this fruit. <laughs> hypocrisy wow and and then the organization becomes just like any other organization and the only thing that makes it different is just the 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 label but an organization under any other label is still an organization that's right um, so we're we're headed somewhere. Uh, uh, it, this it's is a, it's it's a I don't know. <clears throat> I think it's kind of a sobering somber sobering somber. That's the word I'm looking for. It's a sad um, moment I think for the world um, when you think about how a lot of the churches and all churches aren't. And I, I don't want to put all churches in the category, but when I look at the structure of the churches and how a lot of them just from years and years and years 
just started turning it more into an organization. That's where we're losing a lot of our people. We're losing a lot of the uh, people who need help in the church because they're looking to that organization that's been created, and an organization can never help you like an organism can. And the ecclesia is life. It's life in that. Mm -hmm. And I'm just seeing so much disruption in our earth, in our world, and in in the biblical circles of people that we look up to or have looked up to in the past. And I mean, every, no one's perfect, yeah. you know, um, but I think education, understanding the true history of why we do what we do, mm-hmm. and when we see the era, change it. Just change it. Yes. It may be hard to do. You may get kicked back, but if it's the true word of God, we have to change to go back to the ecclesia. Yes. We have to. We have to. Increasing knowledge is simply learning, mm-hmm. but... If there's no doing, then there's no wisdom. Yeah, that's good. And wisdom is always in doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, just uh, the absence of knowledge is called ignorance. Mm. And the absence of using knowledge once you get it is called foolishness. So the fool in the book of Proverbs, the fool is someone who has an opportunity to know what's right, but then just doesn't do it. So you're an ignorant fool. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the double whammy there. So let's dispel some some ignorance. Yes. And let's apply it so that we become wise and not stay foolish. Yes. And we're talking about the, uh, by the way, we are sipping today on Trinity. Yes. Speaking of the needed. Trinity, the yes. Trinity. I love it. Uh, three holy ingredients, mm-hmm. cascara, which is dried coffee fruit, lemongrass, which both of those come from our farm in Honduras, and then uh, hibiscus flower. It's actually the flower petals. So what we're drinking here is the dried fruit mm-hmm. for the coffee cherry. And the lemongrass, mm. the dried lemongrass, and flower petals, the hibiscus flower. I love it. It's a it's a great blend. All blended together, and and uh, it's it's a wonderful detox. Mm-hmm. A lot of antioxidants Especially for this time of year. Yes, oh, yes, and with everyone, uh, every time you have an increased opportunity to be sick, you have an increased opportunity to increase your immune system and your. Mm the strength of your immune system. Yeah, so and grab that subscription. <laughs> yes, let's do it. Go ahead and get it. Okay, so we're talking about the, the story of the ecclesia, not the history of the church. Now, they, we talk about both of them, but many times we, we confuse those two, right. and we've talked about this a lot, so I don't want to go into any more detail about that. Uh, but uh, in, in the story of the ecclesia, we talk about some of the same events and some of the same people that we see in the history of the church, but to look at it through a different window, which is the window of the story of the ecclesia. And so what we're going to talk about today, and it's only, uh, we just have a brief time to do this, but we're going to talk about uh, a, uh, a revolution. We're going to talk about a, uh, a quantum leap in the existence of humanity. And 
the only thing that uh, that we can compare it to from our own experience is uh, the internet. How the internet's changed, right? You know, people's lives all around the world. Well, there was something that occurred in uh, 1456. It's easy to remember because it's one plus four is five plus one is six. 1456. Okay. <laughs> and the the guy that we're talking about in this year was this uh, this German entrepreneur, and uh, in English his name would be John Goodhill. John Goodhill. You've never heard of that guy. I'm not. How about Johann Gutenberg? Gutenberg. Yes. No, I haven't heard of Mr. Gutenberg. <laughs> Well, let's hear about them both. <laughs> right. They're the same fellow. The, the German, his German name was Johann Gutenberg. In English, it would be John Goodhill. Okay. Right? So John Goodhill, better known as Johann Gutenberg, uh, maybe unknown as Johann Gutenberg, <laughs> but you will uh, realize the, the impact of his invention when I, when I say it to you. Uh, Johann Gutenberg is the first person in Western culture, Western civilization in Europe uh, to use what we call the printing press. The invention of the printing press. And like many other inventions, it, it wasn't something that was brand new. Right. It wasn't something that he came up with from scratch. No, it was, it was, a, uh, it was a development. It wasn't a revelation. Mm-hmm. It was a development. And it came... In, uh, in different steps. Now, the Chinese had been doing something similar to that for hundreds, if not thousands of years, where they would have a particular uh, engraving, and they would use that then as, a, as basically as a stamp. Right. But, uh, but to have different ones that would, uh, a different engraving, and just a small piece of metal that would have the engraving of a letter and then you would arrange those in a particular uh, block mm-hmm. and have them uh, where that they would be held steady and firm and then press paper with an even amount of uh, pressure all around it mm-hmm. to, to take what was, uh, what was on that to transfer the engraving on that little piece of, uh, prior to this it was wood, but this little piece of metal and then what you have is a printed page. And Mr. Johann Gutenberg, uh, he, was, he was basically a metal worker. And so he came up with this alloy of metal, uh, that, of metals that, uh, that would be easily formed, but that would, uh, would hold some, some definition about it. And then, of course, uh, he had to come up with an ink that would be transferable, and then I had to figure out a way to get it all done. And with uh, uh, the printing press, you know, we've seen pictures of it. Benjamin Franklin uh, was a a, a printer, uh, and we've seen pictures of those where uh, it's this, uh, there's just a a, a table, and there's a a framework over it, and then there's this big lever that you pull, and as you pull it, it presses down. Okay, well, the, the, the paper was laid on the, uh, the little pieces of metal, the little type, typeset. Uh, they were in a, in, in a block form, laying on the table, of course, up. 
And then the paper was laid over that. Ink was put on the, the little pieces of metal. And then a piece of paper placed on top of it. And then there had to be something a little bit bigger than the size of the paper. And it needed to go down with consistent, even pressure. So that each, every square inch, even every square millimeter of that paper had the same amount of pressure on it so that you didn't end up with one darker than another. Or right. So it was, uh, it, it was quite a, uh, a challenge, but Mr. Johan figured out how to do it. And, uh, you know, uh, Clarissa, and this was in 1456, and you know what the, the very first thing was that he printed the first book? The Bible. Wow. Yes. Uh, and it was, uh, there, there's still, I think there was something like over, uh, uh, maybe he made a hundred or so copies of that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there's still something like, uh, between 25 and 30 of them that are still around and people pay millions of dollars. I mean, these are collector's items. Wow. And so this is, um, I guess a translation that he did or. Yes. He, he, he used, uh, well, he, uh, he, he did the, uh. Uh, he did the Latin Vulgate, mm-hmm. but then as people started translating the scriptures, and, and uh, John Wycliffe had translated uh, some scriptures into English, and so th- this was a, uh, it, was, uh, it was revolutionary in its application. Mm-hmm. It was just a development in the process. Mm-hmm. But what it did cause was a revolution. Because uh, prior to the printing press, there, there were very few copies of the scriptures because they were all hand copied. Right. And of course, there's a, uh, there's a very high chance of error when you have a lot of people, you know, copying the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And it took a long time. Uh, like people would, uh, would uh, monks and monasteries, they would dedicate their life and their entire lifetime, like of, say, 50 years of specific dedicated service, they may simply make just a, a few copies of the Scripture in a lifetime. And here Gutenberg figured out this printing press, and so he, would, he, would, he had all these letters, and he, he formed them in a, as he heated the metal and poured it into these molds, so he had it all figured out. And then you, you could use that little mold of that letter over and over again. You just rearrange it on your, uh, on your print face there to say whatever it was you wanted to say. So it opened up all kinds of jobs for people. And, uh, and so you could uh, just print uh, one page at a time. But you could, uh, in just a short period of time, you could print 100 pages. And, and so then you had... You, you had you had all these uh, uh, all these pages here, uh, and but at the time, not a whole lot of people could read. So and the, they had no reason to learn to read because they didn't have a book that they could read from. But now all of a sudden, here was the the uh, a lot of copies of of scripture, mm-hmm. and so there was a need to learn to read and and the. The category that would have been called the Pharisees, <laughs> they said, uh, "No, we don't want. To, we, we're not for this. It, it's against the law yeah. 
to print the Bible because if we do, then someone who can read that uh, he, he might read the Bible and make his own decision about what God's saying, and and then we have no we have no no control over him anymore. Mm. We want to be able to tell people what the Bible says, not just what it means. That's so loaded, <laughs> and I'm going to stay away from that. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and so I. So it, it, it's like this. If, if someone, uh, so I mean, they had all kind of reasons for, for, uh, for fighting against Gutenberg and his invention here, and they didn't want the Bible printed uh, because uh, first, not a lot of people can read, and second, uh, the powers that were at the time, they were convinced that the ordinary person couldn't learn to read. I have to, I have to take a little short parenthesis here for a little story. In 2008, when I first went to Honduras to meet Esther, the school teacher, my mother and I went. She was 80. I was 55. And so uh, Esther said she needed a school, so we built her a schoolhouse. And uh, the local politician who would be like a state senator in our setting he wanted to meet me, and I thought, man, I may be in trouble because I didn't get any kind of permits. I, didn't, <laughs> I just went in and did it, <laughs> you know. He wanted to meet me there, and he wanted to bring one of his uh, protégés with him. I uh, said, okay, where do you want to meet? He said, I want to meet at the school. So I was like, man, I don't know what's up here. So we met at the school. We sat down at a desk, and the kids were over there studying. And he said, uh, he said well, he said, I, I, I want to share several things with you. I said, okay. And I thought, man, he was going to find me or he was going to say, you know, this is not going to get it and whatever else. But he said, he said, first, I want to thank you for coming here and building this school. He said, it's not something that we couldn't do. We, we build buildings here and, and we build nice buildings. But you came here and you built this building specifically to teach these uh, to be used to teach these children in this rural village that had no way of learning or going to school. You gave them a place to come and learn. And he said, we could have done that, but we, we've never done it in a village like this. One, because it's so remote. And, and we had to build a road to get to the, to the location. I mean, with shovels and pinch bars and pickaxes. We built a road so the delivery trucks could get there and uh, with the building materials. He said uh, it, it was too remote for us to even think about doing. And he said uh, uh, we, uh, we, we didn't really have anyone also that, uh, that could teach because we, we have a shortage in what schools we already have. So we didn't have anybody that we could send to a school even if we would build it. And he said the third reason, he said this is the most embarrassing to me. Personally, he was telling me from him, his, his perspective. He said, uh, we, we really weren't convinced that these rural children could learn. <laughs> and he said, uh, this, this experiment right here has proven that they can. And there was a, a school had been going for a few months at that time. And so there was this uh, seven-year-old boy. His name was Caesar, by the way, Caesar. Mm -hmm. 
Cesar Cruz. And uh, Cesar, I think, was about six or seven. And so he was already reading on a third grade level and had only been having school for just a few months. So I invited Cesar over with his little reader there. And he put his little finger down on each word and he sounded it out and he read this part of a page to this politician. And when he finished, this politician had tears running down his face. He said, uh, we never thought that these rural village children could learn. That's exactly the idea that the leaders of the organization that's called the church, that's the same way they felt about the ordinary citizen in the 1400s in Europe. First, they can't learn. There's no reason for them to learn. They just need to listen to us tell them. So I, I want to say this real quick here to jump into some application on this and that let's get the story of the ecclesia and, and get beyond the history of the church. Uh, the same thing happened in, in terms of a, a quantum leap in mankind's ability to learn and to convey new knowledge with the Internet 25 years ago or so. Coming on 30, could start, it, it was a development. It wasn't a revelation. It was a development. And so that now we, we have the scriptures on, on the computer. We have a digital version. Mm-hmm. And so uh, if, if, you, if you have a, a smartphone, not just if you have a copy of the Bible. There, by the way, the Bible was the first book that was printed with Gutenberg's printing press. And that year, it was the one that was printed the most, and it was the biggest seller. And Clarissa, every year since 1456, the Bible has been the biggest seller every year after year after year. Mm. So much, and it's so consistent that it's not even considered to be on the best-selling list, but it always is. Every year, there are more Bibles printed than any other book. Mm. Now, many people don't even know that because the organization out here in the world, they're trying to push all this other stuff to us. No, the, uh, the Bible is, is the most published book, uh, the, the most published uh, piece of literature every year, consistently, year after year after year. <laughs> and so uh, could we say that that Holy Spirit is screaming to us? That, hey, you've got, uh, like, and I, I just want to ask our, our listeners, how many copies, how many hard copies of Scripture do you have? You've got one in your bedroom, mm-hmm. 15 in your, uh, on your bookcases. Mm-hmm. You've got two or three hidden away somewhere that you'll never find. And you've got some that people gave you that you've never even opened. And you've given some to people and they've never even cracked the cover. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of knowledge in there, but it's, it's foolishness if we don't right. open it up. You know, you think about uh, how people put it on their coffee table as a, a centerpiece. Yes. I mean, the big, beautiful ones, the nice grass. Yes. But it's, it stays open to like in the middle of the, the Bible, and that's it. It's never looked at, maybe dusted every now and yes. then, but it's just a centerpiece. Yes. And so uh, I just I just want to leave that, that thought with our listeners today. Uh, what, what are you doing to, to interact with God's word. 
that's a good I like that we, we, we have we have no excuse uh, Gutenberg took away the excuse and uh, and the the internet the the digital world has taken away there's so many apps that we could use to, to study the scripture and to even apply the scripture and if anyone needs some ideas uh, just uh, send me an email at Melvin at principiocoaching.com yes. and uh, I'll be glad to engage with you and, and not so that you can always be hooked on, on my teaching, but I want to connect you with a place that I learned from. That's awesome. So that you can learn on your own. And so I, I, ha- I want to leave them with this question. Uh, why be satisfied listening to echoes when we can actually hear the voice? mic has dropped <laughs> um, I like that and, and I want to I want to admonish everyone to think about that what are we listening to now and are we truly interacting with the word of God with the ecclesia I think it's just for some of us has become just the centerpiece on the coffee table and if the main thing that we get from, from God's Word is when we go to the, the building that's called the church, that's actually the organization. If that's, the main, if that's our main uh, interaction with the Word of God, uh, then we are, we're, uh, we're, just, we're not taking advantage of the opportunities that we have. This is a different podcast today. Um, Guys, take note. Go back and listen to this. Share it with your friends. This is definitely one for the books. See you next week.